This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post Senate act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on saying yes to being a plus one, how to dress to the eights, door buzzer etiquette, and a question about wondering if you were thanked for a wedding gift or not. All this, plus your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript segment on tricky foods, letters C through H. For Awesome Etiquette Sustaining members, your extra question of the week is about commenting on table manners for YouTube food reviewers. All that coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. Hey. How's it going, Kez? Oh, my goodness. Book launch was yesterday, so that was very exciting. Congratulations. Thank you for all those interested. Please, please seek a copy out via emilypost.com, higheretiquette.com, or your favorite bookstore. But it did mean that I spent a ton of my time on social media yesterday, just following the post, seeing how they were doing, liking things, responding to people, thanking all the wonderful people who said that they bought the book and were excited to read it. Friends and and family who are just excited for you. Yeah, and it was really really great, but it reminded me about something that you've been working on, which is connecting to friends and family more. (laughs) And so after spending quite a bunch of time with people yesterday, I wanted to ask you how it's going. Double reverse flip. You're getting onto social media and I'm spending less and less time there personally. Totally. And as I was doing that, it was a question that had come up multiple times on this show. How do you manage a pullback from social media? How do you manage it if you're someone who uses it a lot and you're seeing people that you connect with start to fade or be there less? Or what if that's how you stay in touch with people? I told myself I was going to make an effort. I was going to follow the advice that I give. And I was actually going to pick up my phone and make an effort to give people a call and connect person to person. And I've been doing it. How's it going? It's awesome. It's really nice, isn't it? It's kind of spectacular. And it's a little unspectacular. And at the same time, it's very pleasantly surprising. I look through my contacts. I find somebody who I haven't talked to in a few months. I just say, call. (laughs) And they answer the phone and say something like, Dan. It's so good to hear from you. (laughs) And that little bit of surprise in their voice tells me that this is a good project I'm undertaking. Well, I think it would be a really good project for our listeners to undertake as well. So I'm going to encourage everyone to try and make two to three phone calls this week to someone you haven't spoken to in a while. And if you get their voicemail, just leave a nice friendly message saying, hey, I was thinking of you, thought I'd give you a call. Hope all's well in your world. Take care. I mean, it's that easy. And I I will tell you... 
it really, I know it brightens my day when I hear from someone. I don't think that it's weird. I don't think it's odd. I'm often so pleasantly surprised and happy to have been thought of. So if you're having that moment of, oh, this person's going to wonder, why am I calling them? Da, 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 you know, What am I going to say? Yeah, don't worry about it. Just say hello. <laughs> As you're weighing the decision, that awkwardness on one side of the scale just cannot balance with that good feeling that's most likely to result from touching base. I agree. And speaking of good feelings, we also wanted to use our intro time to give a shout out to our three wonderful interns who have been with us this spring semester. Um, I have been working with a young woman named Meg who has been helping me with the launch of Higher Etiquette, and she has done a fabulous job. I am I am ready to, to just like hold on to her. I don't want her to go home to Chicago at the end of the semester. <laughs> and Dan, you've been working with two other interns. Maddie and Alyssa have been spending a lot of time, funnily enough, managing our social media, helping out with our social media, and their support is so essential. It's so important to what we do, and I couldn't appreciate it anymore. So thank you, Maddie and Alyssa. Thanks, ladies. We really appreciate your help, and we hope that you have enjoyed your internships at Emily Post. So that's most of the business for the intro. (laughs) Should we get to the business of this show? I think we should. It's time to get to some questions. Let's do it. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions on how to behave. And if you have a question for us, please email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook. Just remember to use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your post so that we know we have your permission to put your question on the air. Sustaining members, please remember to put sustaining member in your message. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y, 
W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners, it's manners with an S, to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. We begin today asking the question, am I an appropriate plus one? Dear Awesome Etiquette, a friend that I was very close to in high school is soon to be married to his fiance, who also went to school with us. Although we were best friends in high school, we slowly grew apart through college, and our friendship is currently only the occasional like on social media and small talk when we see each other in public every few months. A mutual friend from high school, whom I'm still close with, was invited to the wedding and asked me if I could go with her. Would I be out of place to go with her to our former classmate's wedding when I was not personally invited? Warm regards, Jacob. I thought this was a really interesting question because obviously it seems like warm feelings are are throughout. It's just they're not very close anymore. And so it brought up a couple different things for me. One, it brought up the idea of is a plus one only supposed to be a date in the sense of like a date? Because I know when our parents were younger, plus ones weren't really issued to weddings nearly so often because people were going to places where they often knew the family and friends who would be attending and it was a great place to meet people. Makes sense. Yeah, exactly. And now weddings can often be a place filled with strangers for you, especially depending on when you were connected to the person and how connected to their current life you are. And so we've seen a lot of people want to just bring a friend to a wedding that they've been invited to just, you know, so that they have someone to talk to for the evening. And there's a part of me that really wants to encourage folks that they can handle going to a wedding on their own. And there's a part of me that thinks there's absolutely nothing wrong with inviting a friend, not a date, to this particular type of event. And so I'm like of multiple minds. On the one hand, I'm thinking like if you don't have a date date to bring because you're socially seeing someone, then don't add the extra burden of cost to the host. At the same time, the host is clearly giving this to you because it's not listed as a specific partner of yours that you're then just going to substitute in for a friend. I think you're in good stead to have basically been told, bring whomever you would like. And I see no problem with you going, being someone who knows the the couple, you know, or at least one member of the couple. I don't think it would be weird for you to attend. In fact, you might even reach out via Facebook and say, hey, a friend of mine who is invited to your wedding asked me to go as a plus one. I'm so thrilled that I'll get to be there, like excited to celebrate you or something like that. I, I just I don't find a whole lot of awkwardness here, but I get the feeling of hesitation. I completely understand both your Well, from an etiquette perspective, this is fine. A plus one that isn't specified is something that you get to decide about, whether it's a romantic partner or just you'd appreciate someone to make the drive with and spend the evening with and have to keep you company when you drive home, whatever that is. Yeah. The little things that I'm looking for as clues on the invitation are that the person isn't named. There really is an open plus one that makes it that person's choice. I like your consideration about maybe I'd enjoy going by myself or maybe this is my opportunity to meet someone or whatever and that that really is up to you. I also like the awareness of the person who's the potential plus one saying, is there anything awkward about me going? And there are a couple of things I might think about from that perspective. One is, is there a particular reason it would feel awkward? Was there a falling out? Is there some... 
something that you're reading in the subtext of this friendship that's grown apart that says this person would rather not have me there. And if I really thought that was the case, I would honor and respect that. But I wouldn't interpret not being invited to the wedding as that signal that we spend a lot of time on this show encouraging people not to take it personally, that wedding guest lists are really hard to manage and difficult decisions have to be made. The fact that you're not invited is not a personal slight. It's not a comment on the state or nature of your friendship. So I wouldn't let the feeling of awkwardness come from the fact that I wasn't invited initially. I would be looking more broadly for that kind of a clue. And I think that our listener is in exactly that type of space. Jacob sounds like he's just aware of the fact that we were friends. We definitely aren't close now, so I wouldn't be expecting an invitation. Is it then awkward that I go? Being at an event that you would, you really wouldn't expect to be invited to. And I, I, I just I love the balance that we have going on here. To me, it sounds like it might be fun. Yeah. I think so, too. I think so, too. And who knows? Might be a good way to reconnect. Jacob, we hope that this helps, and we hope you have a fabulous time at your friend's wedding. Well, suppose he did it this way. Hi, Ann. What you doing Saturday night? Well, I... I guess I'm busy. Oh, yeah? Any chance of giving him the brush off for me? Well, of all the This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Saks.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Our next question is titled, Dressed to the Eights. Dear Lizzie and Daniel, long-time listener, first-time caller, well, email sender, from Sydney, Australia, I have been invited to a dinner function, and the dress code is jackets and tie for gentlemen, evening wear for ladies. The majority of those in attendance will be gentlemen, but I am a woman attending this annual function for the first time and was seeking some direction as to what would be appropriate to wear. Is a long dress required, or would that be too formal and a short dress more in keeping with the occasion? Thank you for all that you do so that respect, consideration, and honesty can flourish. Abby. Abby, thank you for the question. I love the title, by the way, because it was Post, Dressed to <laughs> the Eights. That was Abby. Abby came up with that in her email. She said, Dressed to the Eights? Question <laughs> mark. And I think she's reading this exactly right. It's not quite to the nines. This is not white tie. This isn't a tails, full nines, evening, Ball formal gown. attire. Yeah. And I'm translating that to you probably don't want to be in that ball gown territory, the elegant, long train, evening dress. But at the same time, in women's fashion, there are a lot of long evening gowns that aren't ball gowns, that aren't even over the top. They're just simply long dresses that could fit in this category. There's Women have so many options. You could have a knee-length dress that is, I think, fancier than a maxi dress, a floor-length dress. And so it this gets complicated. It does. And we're... I'm going to get even one more step complicated and say it's not even quite black tie. 
that we're, we're descending down a scale of formality in terms of interpreting the clues that you're getting from your invitation or the way the event's been described. Yes, evening wear for the ladies. You've been given quite a broad, broad description. And in some ways that even sounds to me slightly more formal than the direction given the men, which is jacket and tie. Right. Which says that I don't necessarily even need to be matching suit jacket and yeah, pants, yeah. that it could be something... It's almost in the semi-formal category, but a little with, more playful. Yeah, it, and I, and that comes, like you said, just because it's jacket and tie for the men, but then it's evening wear, which again we said so broad that yeah, you're right. This probably puts you at about a seven or an eight in terms your, of your scale. And I was going to defer to your fashion sense for the specific decisions, but I was thinking that I would tend towards the more formal of the semi-formal decision-making here that I think so in the same way if I'm a man going to this event I'm not going to go with a plaid jacket and a creative bow tie just because it's been described as jacket tie and for women formal evening I'm going to stick to something that's a little more circumspect a little more on the formal and probably a dark jacket something that fits nicely pants that are not too casual going more towards slacks khakis maybe even something that matches a jacket than chinos or sure I think that there are combinations for women that are appropriate here, but I would probably be thinking longer, knee length or longer, but there can be some things that are cocktail dresses that I I think would also maybe fit here. Yeah, and I'm with you. I definitely wouldn't do an above-the-knee dress. I would keep it at the knee or lower. And and for at the knee, I mean like at the knee. I don't mean like, you know, three inches above the knee. But break out your rulers for any of you who, like me, went to a school that had a dress code of girls wearing skirts. But I think that one of the great ways to go is to do some kind of a long dress that's not adorned in such a way that it becomes fancy. So not much sequins or beading or things like that on it. But I would keep it simple. But I would keep the material in a nice material. Maybe not something as as noticeable as like silk. A super satin. Right. But also definitely not in the just cotton or uh, jersey knit or linen category either. I would find something kind of in between those. So that you have something that has a nice polished look to it, but it doesn't shout out, look at me. I think you and I are in a pretty similar place on this. <laughs> and it's it's a certain tone that you're striking more than a particular rule. I think there are probably combinations of pants and blouses. Absolutely. Maybe yeah. even some skirts and blouses, although that starts mm, less, to be less a little likely less. Unless the skirt is fairly formal in looking. Yeah. But yeah, I think there there are some combos that you could definitely get away with. Abby, we hope that this helps, and we hope you have a fabulous time at this event. This is certainly a gala evening, and you have a new dress, too. But don't forget, nice clothes do help, don't they? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. In this question, we wonder, to buzz or not to buzz? Hello, Lizzie and Daniel. Thank you for your wonderful podcast. I have listened for many years, but this is my first question submission. I'm a little nervous. 
I had a question about door answering etiquette when living in an apartment building. My boyfriend of many years and I recently moved in together, and it's going really well, and we love entertaining. However, we have come to a disagreement about how to appropriately answer the door. We live in a small apartment building, a walk-up with three floors total with a simple layout on each floor that has a call box outside the front door to the building where visitors can call the tenant they are visiting and the tenant can remotely unlock the door. I usually tell guests to text or call me when they are close so I can let them into the building and then walk up the stairs with them. My boyfriend thinks this is unnecessary, that the call box is there for a reason, and that our visitors are more than capable of finding our apartment and walking up the stairs themselves. I definitely understand his perspective, and walking up three flights of stairs many times a night can get tiring. But what is more appropriate? Should we meet guests on their first visit but buzz them up thereafter? Thank you for considering this question, and thanks again for the wonderful podcast, Best Camille. Camille, thank you so much for this wonderful question. We have not received this question before, and I really like it. What do you like about it? I like it because I am that person who didn't grow up in a community where doorbells were even common. And so, like a lot of people, you just knocked on their door. They didn't even have a doorbell. And so, um, for me, I remember visiting my first friends in New York and was terrified by the buzzer at the door. And which one do I press? Do I know it's really them? A lot of the times, the names are not. Are they seventh floor Clear, west or seventh yeah, floor east? These, and then you can't read the like penciled in name on the thing. And so I, I get worried. Or it's one of those, the newer call boxes where you have to like press the first three letters of the person's last name and then the number of their apartment. And, and then the person has to buzz and you have to open the door in time for the buzzing. And that can go wrong. It was like a comedy of errors waiting to happen. And so... I actually think it is really nice on your first time of either letting someone know how your door buzzer works, if there are any tricks to it or any things to keep an eye out for if they're unfamiliar with it or unfamiliar with buzzers in general. But I also I think it's really common nowadays to just text someone and let them know that you're, you know, a block away. I think greeting someone down at the door, especially for parties or well, this is where it gets tricky. This is where you start to have some choices. No, it's true. And so here's what I think. I love the idea of the first time someone visits your house, going down and greeting them. That way they get all the way up to your apartment. It's There's kind of this nice hosting about it. But I also really agree with your boyfriend that people showing up for a party where you're upstairs and taking care of things and it's a more casual party, I think you just have them buzz and you buzz them in. There's no problem there whatsoever. Friends and family, people that have done this before, I think that you take advantage of all the amenities and comforts that modern technology offers. I'm, I'm thinking like such a country mouse here. I know. Dan's saying amenities and I'm picturing this like you get like this little toiletry kit. Something else <laughs> anyway. nice to do for your guests. <laughs> yeah. But no, but, but friends and people who've been here before, they've seen it. Yeah. And it's the way the system's designed to work to save you that schlep up and down three flights of stairs every time. I also like the way that you're thinking about hosting. I like the suggestion that people who might be unfamiliar with the building or even that kind of apartment situation, I think it's great to meet them. I also like the idea of utilizing it for special events or occasions where you're trying to create that feel of a hosted event. It's a great way to start to set that tone early. But like my cousin, I'm also thinking... 
you know, over time, it's probably going to get easier and easier to just say, hey, come on up. <laughs> and I think most people aren't going to interpret that as rude at all. Absolutely. Camille, thank you so much for this delightful question. The planning and preparation will help make a good party. But what else makes a good party? It's the skill of the hosts and the skill of the guests in making the party fun for everyone. Our next question is titled, Did We Get Thanked? And I just, I love that. It's like, wait a minute, did that happen? Hello, I'm a recent listener to your podcast and appreciate each episode for the reminders of how important consideration, respect, and honesty is in our daily lives. My question is, what, if anything, should I do if I haven't received a thank you for a wedding gift and am concerned if the gift was received? My husband and I were invited to an out-of-town wedding last November. Several weeks before the wedding, we had a gift chosen from the registry sent to the bride's address. We have not received a thank you. Or have we? I'm confused because over the Christmas holidays, we received a wedding photo card with a handwritten note wishing us happy holidays and thanking us for attending the wedding. A gift was not mentioned. The bride and groom, along with their families, are very polite and formal people, and it seems unlikely they would not send a note. This leaves me to wonder if they did not receive the gift. I'm embarrassed to think that they believe we attended the wedding without giving a gift. The couple are my daughter-in-law's sibling and spouse. If I ask my daughter-in-law about this, she will likely mention it to her mother. I do not want to embarrass anyone if by inquiring I'm suggesting that they haven't thanked us properly. Should I let this go? Thank you for considering this question. Sincerely confused. Confused, I hope you feel a little less confused soon. There is a version of this question that should be an article on our website, if it's not already. It definitely is, but I think we need to find a way to make it more prominent. <laughs> and and to just bullet out the, the process or the steps, because there is a genuine etiquette conundrum here, and it's outlined very clearly in this question. On the one side, there is a concern that maybe the thing that you did didn't work the way you had planned. And that's a genuine concern for you. You want to be someone who replies to a wedding invitation, particularly a wedding that you went to with a gift. Yeah. And you don't want to have erred or missed that social responsibility. At the same time, you're aware that there is a reciprocal expectation that some sort of thanks is sent for this gift and you don't want to call that out. And – there is a real genuine consideration and respect for someone else in not wanting to call out their what could be seen as bad behavior. And how you navigate that is a trick. So, Cousin Lizzie, do you want to start to walk us through the process? Because it starts in a pretty practical it, place. It does. And the, the very first place that you can start, especially given the fact that you have already stated you're not interested in – asking your daughter-in-law who might tell her mother who might you know using kind of the the uh, telephone tag um the grapevine they say as they say to get it 
uh, to get word out. I, and I think you're smart in doing that. So that leaves the first option is to contact the registry company, see if you can find out anything about the item being delivered or not. Check your email you know, receipts, basically, to see if um, you got a notification that the shipment went out and there's a tracking number so that you could go track it and just see if it was delivered. Part of it depends on whether or not you want to call attention to it, too. So you could be sitting here and just say, I'm just curious about this. And if, if I don't need the thank you from them, but I'm just worried, should I even worry about it at all? If you see that that gift did get delivered, then I think you have a choice to make about whether or not you pursue trying to find out about the thank you note or not. You might say, OK, it got there. I did what I need to do. I can feel confident in that. I don't have to worry about them not sending a proper thank you. If the thank you means something more to you and is actually something where, you know, it's not like you feel you're owed it in some kind of like, I'm going to seek vengeance if I don't get it kind of a thing. Um, It's much more of just a, you'd like to kind of put a nice close on this very common social interaction and exchange that typically happens, then I think you do need to decide whether it's going to be best to mention it to the daughter-in-law. You can always go directly to the couple and you might say something to them like, Jenna, I hope you are well. I hadn't heard anything from you regarding the wedding gift we sent and it made me worry that maybe it did not arrive. Please let us know if the package arrived. It was sent around blank date. All my best to you and your parents. Your wedding was so fabulous. We had the most wonderful time. Something like that to just let them know you're just checking in. You're not asking for thanks. You're just double checking that the gift arrived. Um, But I think that that could be appropriate in this situation. And it, it cuts out the whole chain of other people who might, you know, then cause embarrassment for the bride. When in doubt, direct communication often has no substitute. I might even mention in that conversation, we received the loveliest thanks for attending the wedding. There wasn't a mention of the gift. I wanted to double check. To acknowledge what they did do might be another way to sort of broaden your approach and to give them credit for having done some of the things that you would expect someone to do after a wedding. Totally. I, I though, hesitate on whether or not to actually mention that there was no thanks for the gift in the note. But I think that if you bring up the note, it just lets them know that you did receive that. But I think you could say something referencing the note and then having the line about, I was just curious if our gift arrived, wanted to make sure it had gotten safely to you. I think does that without actually saying to the person, there was no thanks in the note. (laughs) I like that middle ground. And I wouldn't want to not mention the note because I could also see someone else thinking, well, we sent a thing. and Yeah, yeah, yeah. But maybe that thing wasn't quite specific enough, might not be the follow-up thought that occurred if there was no acknowledgement that that thing had happened. So mention the note, but don't mention the not thanking for the gift, but then mention the fact that the gift may not have arrived and you're just checking up on it. (laughs) So as we parse down and get closer and closer to a sample script that works in that situation, I think it could also work if you did want to play a smaller version of the telephone game. If you don't want it to be something that goes person to person to person to person, but you don't have a relationship with the bride or groom that you feel is close enough to make it comfortable for you to pick up the call. I think talking to your daughter-in-law and mentioning as one more thing to include in that conversation that you'd prefer 
to make the ask or the inquiry in as discreet a fashion as possible because you really wouldn't want to cause anyone embarrassment or concern. Absolutely. I do also want to flip this problem on its head for just a minute. Oh, do you now? Dan, you love complicating things. Well, I think there's an (laughs) etiquette lesson we could take away from this question. What is it? Which is that when you write your wedding thank yous, try to be specific. Try to mention the gift, if at all possible. Sometimes... Not even if at all possible. You're supposed to mention the gift. Okay, so I'm trying to carve out... Even Chris is looking at you like... I'm trying to carve out just a little bit of space here. Sometimes cards get switched. Sometimes someone says, oh, the gift is maybe going to come after the wedding. You've got that three-month grace period that a lot of people count on that I could still deliver that gift in, but I'm getting my cards out promptly so that there isn't a mention of the gift. There are a couple instances where you might not, but it really speaks to the importance of that etiquette standard that you reference so clearly that you do mention the gift and thank explicitly for it as part of that thank you. Absolutely. Confused. This was a very long answer to a very clear question, but it's definitely one that comes up again and again. So thank you for giving us a chance. Hopefully it leaves you just a little bit less confused. On the other hand, thank you is a simple way to repay those who do things for you. Thank you. Pete showed that he appreciated her kindness. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates, comments, or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Or you can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. We love having your voices on the show, so please, please, please call in. Or you can reach us via Twitter. We are at Emily Post Inst. That's I-N-S-T. Or on Facebook, where we are Awesome Etiquette. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette in your posts so that we know you want your question on the air. It's time for our feedback segment where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. And today's feedback takes us back to the dinner table. It does. This comes from when Dan and I were talking about this question of do you eat scrambled eggs with a fork or a spoon came up recently. And it, the the question made us laugh because it brought us back to a moment where Dan and I were dining after the podcast one day and he was eating his fried rice with a spoon. And, I, and knowing full and well... And Lizzie laughed at me. I did because I know full well that that is a very common thing to do in different cultures, not every single culture that, uh, that uses a lot of rice, but in many. And uh, so it was really fun to just... Te- we have fun teasing each other about little etiquette things. Lizzie thought I looked hungry. <laughs> you did. You you looked famished that day. <laughs> but I love this comment. Dear Dan and Lizzie, thank you for your informative, sensitive, and lively teaching moments. Your influence makes a lovely difference in our family. I laughed when Lizzie mentioned that Dan ate Thai fried rice with a spoon. If his spoon hand is his right hand, he's correct. Yes. The fork held in the left hand may be used to push the food onto the spoon. So it's using them together, not just eating it like cereal. Again, I'm just teasing him. I'm not actually a stickler for this. A last comment. Unless one is eating Chinese food while in Thailand, chopsticks are never used by Thais. While they may be provided to Americans, it's only because many of us ask for them out of cultural ignorance. Thank you for a great podcast. My best, Andrea. Andrea, thank you so much for this feedback. I learned something new and (laughs) was glad to do so. 
and was also, uh, I should just mention, not offended when Lizzie Bose was pointing <laughs> out my table manners. I really appreciated hearing what it might appear like to someone else, how I was eating. And I'll confess, I was probably also slouched over my food and shoveling <laughs> a little totally bit. I, I, I probably really did look hungry. <laughs> you um, were going bite for bite. It is such a treat to learn about particular etiquettes and manners in other cultures. Thank you so much for sharing this with us. And thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please do keep them coming. You are the heartbeat of this show. You can send your next question, comment, or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette, and today we are going to continue with part two of our series on how to eat from the 19th edition of Emily Post's Etiquette. We are bringing you the descriptions of how to eat some of our favorite, slightly difficult, slightly questionable foods. Sometimes they're finger foods. Sometimes they're fork and knives foods. Oftentimes they're confusing or have all kinds of etiquette rules about them. And so we thought this would be a really fun, super etiquette session. In fact, it's the particularly tricky nature of these foods that's the reason they got a special place in the appendix of the book. We are going to finish the seas today by starting with corn on the cob. Corn on the cob, eaten with the hands, is served at family or informal dinners and is a staple at summer barbecues and seafood bakes or boils. At a formal dinner party, corn should be cut off the cob and served in a dish. Perhaps the only rule to follow when enjoying corn on the cob is to eat it as neatly and quietly as possible. No noisy, nonstop chomping up and down the rows. Providing corn holders makes the job a lot less messy and can save burned fingers. Insert the prongs into each end of the corn and use the handles to hold on. To butter the corn, put pats or a scoop of butter on your dinner plate. Then, using your knife, butter and season only a few rolls of corn at a time. There is another school that says rolling the corn in a communal stick of butter is the way to go. In either case, try not to get your fingers greasy and do make frequent use of your napkin. And we should also say that you should double check with your host before rolling your butter. If you see your host or hostess take a slice of butter from the stick, you should do so as well. I think the most useful advice there has to be get a napkin, get a spare. I think so, too. Next up, we have the rather broad category of desserts. What do you do with a dessert fork and spoon when you find them in your place setting? Depending on what you're eating, these utensils are often interchangeable, but the idea is to match the utensil to the job at hand. The fork is for piercing, the spoon for scooping, and both work as a pusher or for cutting. In general, use your spoon to eat desserts with lots of sauce or juice or soft desserts such as custards, mousse, or ice cream. Cakes, pies, crepes, and other pastries usually call for a fork, but if they're served a la mode with ice cream, they may be eaten with either or both of the utensils. And sometimes dessert is even finger food. (laughs) But again, look to your host. Fish. As an entree, fish is often served as a fillet and eaten with a knife and fork. At a restaurant, if a fish is presented whole, it's fine to ask the waiter to prepare it for you, either tableside or in the kitchen. More daunting is a whole fish you must fillet for yourself. 
If so, you should be provided with a fish knife and fork, tools designed for the job. To fillet a fish, first anchor it with your fork and remove the head by placing it on a plate for discards. Then, holding your knife parallel to the fish, use the tip to cut a line down its center from gill to tail, just above the bones running down the middle of the body. Next, you can either eat the flesh directly from the fish or lift the top half of the flesh with the knife and fork, put it on the plate, and then remove the skeleton. If you detect a fish bone in your mouth, work it forward to your lips unobtrusively, then discreetly remove it with your fingers and place it on the side of your plate. Fish bones can sometimes be too tiny to maneuver onto a fork for removal. That is quite a lot. And fish is really one of those categories where it's even broader. And we didn't, I mean, there's shellfish that are different. You know, there's all kinds of different things that, that can make fish a very complicated and daunting exercise at the table. But fear not, it's worth every single deboning, deshelling possible. The flavor is fantastic. I love the idea of asking for help. If you're ever presented with a situation where you're not exactly sure how to get this fish broken up in a way that's going to make it yummy to eat, that's what your server's there for. Definitely ask. We go from fish very briefly to frog's legs. Frog's legs, which are similar to little chicken drumsticks, can be eaten with either the fingers as a past hors d'oeuvre or a knife and fork at the table. Next, we consider fruit. Most fruit should be prepared in the kitchen and presented so that it can be eaten with a spoon or fork. Small fruits such as grapes, plums, apricots, figs, and cherries can be eaten with your fingers. Peel a whole orange, but a grapefruit should be served halved and prepared so that it can be eaten with a spoon or serrated grapefruit spoon. Berries are also eaten with a spoon. And finally today we have hors d'oeuvres. Typically, hors d'oeuvres are finger foods and intended to be eaten in one or two bites. At parties, you may be choosing hors d'oeuvres from platters set on a table or taking them from a past tray. In either case, plenty of napkins should be available. Take small portions from tables and trays. When taking two or more items, use one of the small plates provided. A single hors d'oeuvre can be held on a napkin. A napkin also goes under any plate you're holding in case you need it. There's usually a small receptacle on the table or tray for used food skewers and toothpicks. If not, hold any items such as shrimp tails and toothpicks in your napkin until you find a wastebasket. Don't place used items on the buffet table unless there's a receptacle for the purpose. When crudite, raw vegetables, or chips and dip are offered, spoon some of the dip on your plate. If a communal bowl is used instead of individual plates, don't double dip. Napkins, napkins, napkins. Always, always, always. And don't double dip. <laughs> and don't double dip. <laughs> it's really fun going through some of these. <laughs> I have yet to have a chance in life to eat frog's legs, but I, I, I'm, I'm like, cracked up that we have it in the book. <laughs> The funny thing is, for me, the frog's legs question is a little bit like um, Tom Hanks in Big when he gets the the little mini corn on the cob and he's eating it as if it were a large corn <laughs> oh, on the cob. he's eating baby corn as if it's corn on the cob. <laughs> do you eat a frog's legs where you're eating it like a little mini drumstick or do you just chomp the whole thing? And I've definitely seen people go both ways. <laughs> 
I don't know if there's a right answer. I know. And when I think about the fruit, the berry thing, I just think of that big bowl of strawberries in the summer that everyone's like, you know, just taking out and using their fingers. There are no plates. There are no napkins. (laughs) A discard bowl at the most. There are so many questions when it comes to how to eat. At the same time, it can be really comforting to know some basic standards so that you know the playing field, what rules you're deviating or departing from, and how to make some of those tricky choices when you're presented with them. We will continue our series next week. Everybody likes to eat. Of course, each may have his own individual preference, but no matter whether it's a hot dog at the county fair or a full-course dinner at the Ritz, There's no denying that people like to eat. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today, we have Jane from Philadelphia. Dear Dan and Lizzie, happy almost spring. I hope the sun's shining on you up north. I just came in from some epic yard work, eight bags of leaves, all by myself, triple exclamation points. Good for you. Oh, I am so jealous because I am staring at all the leaves I didn't pick up this fall. (laughs) Through 19 degree weather. My salute is for my neighbors and me. My neighbors to the right always offer to weed whack my part of the yard in summer, being very careful of my plans and leaving things a little bit weedy the way I like. So today I offered to bag up their few tidy piles of leaves. It felt good to return their awesomeness with more awesomeness. Realizing that my neighbor to the left had shoveled my walk every snowfall this winter, I asked him if I could traipse around his leafy yard next time I was feeling motivated. He said he didn't want me to feel obligated, but I said, oh, it's fun. I get in a rhythm. Then a fourth neighbor, the lady who cares for the trash bins, joined in the awesomeness. I had put the leaf bags in the wrong spot, so she super kindly shifted them over for me, and now I know the right spot. And then the weed-whacking neighbors gave me a nice hot piece of pizza with fresh basil on it, which I ate while typing this. I love the way we all tend our spaces while respecting each other's boundaries and styles. I love my neighbors very much. Thanks for giving me a place to put all this love. Leafly yours, Jane in Philadelphia. I love it, Jane, and I really wish I had friends and neighbors like yours. I would love that kind of experience, the teamwork, the satisfaction, and then the enjoying together. Awesomeness on top of awesomeness. On top of awesomeness. And I totally get it. I love raking leaves. My wife has taken videos of me raking leaves. It gives me so much satisfaction. She wanted to record it for posterity and show me what it looks like (laughs) when I'm out there doing it. Dan, why don't you come over to my house and I will make you very, very happy. I knew that was coming. (laughs) I knew that was coming. the leaves in my yard. (laughs) Jane, thank you so much for sharing this salute. Clearly, it's given us a lot of joy. And thank you for listening. Thank you to everyone who sent us something. Please continue to keep your questions, comments, and feedback coming. Please connect with us and share the show with friends and family and coworkers on social media. You can send us questions, comments, and salutes to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a message or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. That's Lizzie with an I-E. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Please do consider becoming a sustaining member. We count on you for support. You can find out more about this by visiting awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com. You can also subscribe to the 
regular version of our show on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And if you enjoy the show, please consider leaving us a review. It really helps with our show rating. Our show was edited by Chris Albertine and assistant produced by Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Thanks Chris, Chris and Bridget. Bridget.